Welcome to the new WellMed Radio, a service of WellMed Medical Management. Over the next half hour, WellMed Radio will educate you about the health and wellness of adults everywhere. Co-hosts Dr. Joshua Beck and veteran broadcaster and attorney Ron Aaron will share information to improve your health and well-being. Here are Ron Aaron and Dr. Joshua Beck. Well, thank you very much for joining us on WellMed Radio. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our very special co-host, Dr. Joshua Beck, board certified in family practice. You find him at the WellMed Clinic, Loop 410 in Centerview. And we were just briefly talking off the air about smoking because our guest will be with us in just a moment. Uh, we're going to talk with him, Dr. Manuel Jane, down in uh, WellMed at Haines City in Florida. We're going to talk about smoking. And I, I said to Joshua, and his answer surprised me. I said, Joshua, did you ever smoke? And my answer was? Yes. Yes. And Somehow you strike me as a non-smoker forever. And I came from a, uh, well, I guess uh, half, my, my mom smoked, you know, uh. growing up in, uh, in Mexico, but my dad never smoked. And so, uh, yeah, and, you know, those long studying nights uh, in uh, med school, uh, surrounded by a bunch of people that smoked, I just, you know assumed you know I might as well just pick up a cigarette as well and smoke it through the filter. <laughs> and then you yeah. said something that my guess is true for a lot of ex-smokers. Yeah. If it wasn't bad for me, I'd probably still smoke. Yeah, I'm waiting for that uh, cigarette that infuses you with a bunch of vitamins. You know, then then we can we can do it the healthy way. But unfortunately, there's too many negative side effects to smoking, and so the smart thing to do is to quit, as I did, and, and has uh, Ron has as well. Well, I used to smoke three packs a day. Wow, a lot of cigarettes. Yeah, I did. I did about half a pack when I would go out. Then I would. You Does know, that include other people's cigarettes too? Probably so. <laughs> All right, let's jump to our yeah. well-met radio hotline. Yeah. Where Dr. Emanuel Jane will join us, earns his Bachelor of Science degree from Ateneo College in the Philippines, earned his medical degree from the University of Santo Tomas in Manila. Dr. Jane completed his residency in family practice at the University of South Florida in Tampa, and you find him at the Wellmet at Haines City Clinic. Dr. Jane, thanks for coming on. Thank you. Well, we wanted to talk. We wanted to talk about smoking and quitting. And we're curious because we've confessed, did you ever smoke? Well, not necessarily, but I did not know that I was smoking because around me are people who smoke. And during the time that I was growing up, it's all over the place. If you don't smell smell smoke, there's nobody there. That would be in the Philippines. Everybody smoked. Correct. Everybody. As was the case in Mexico when I was there studying uh, med school. So, uh, But since then, I think we've all smartened up. <laughs> So tell me, I would guess, even though everybody knows smoking is bad for you, you, Dr. Jane, and Dr. Beck both have patients who still smoke. Yes, uh, I think the difficulty there is that smoking is a personal choice, uh, a behavior that is very difficult to change. And for anyone to change, they have to understand what they're trying to change and give them the opportunity and help to be able to change and most of my patients that I have helped uh, a lot in trying to quit is first to tell them what smoking does to them. Uh, it's not enough just to say, quit smoking. But I think uh, there's a lot of things to know about smoking. Oftentimes, they consider it an addiction. But uh, there's no tolerance involved. And they get the same effect with one cigarette 20 times a day. 
compared to alcohol or some other addicting drugs. So I think it's a more of a behavioral problem, and it's a habit that they become dependent on it, and they can change it's a habit and it's a dependency that they can do something about it and change. So what I do is I explain to them what it does to them. And uh, I tell them that when you smoke, 10 seconds from the time you inhale that smokes, all the blood vessels in your body goes into spasm. So you have less blood supply to the brain, to the heart, to the lungs, to the guts. And if they uh, drink alcohol, blood vessels open up. They have to smoke to counteract that effect of vasodilatation or opening up of their blood vessels. And if they eat, all that uh, blood uh, goes to the guts to absorb all the food, and the smoker cannot stand that. He has to get up and smoke to counteract that effect. And when they drink coffee, uh, if you have coffee, you have to have uh, ashtray. If you offer alcohol before, you have to have an ashtray. So these are the things that I explain to them what it does. And when they smoke, it goes into their brain. It's absorbed instantly, even less than 10 seconds, and it affects the pleasure center of the brain. You know what? That's the same center that nicotine and uh, amphetamine works, the nucleus accumbens in medical terms, uh, in the brain. The problem with smoking is it is legal, uh, and you can buy it anywhere. So how can a patient be told to quit when he's not doing anything wrong? All right, now hold that thought. I want to remind <laughs> folks who may have just joined us, you're listening to WellMed Radio, and we're delighted to be here with you. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Dr. Joshua Beck, and on our WellMed Radio hotline, Dr. Manuel Jane WellMed at Haines City. Yeah, there's too many uh, lobbyists, you know, that are, you know, uh, giving money to the uh, politicians to uh, make it illegal. And there's too many people profiting off of it. But the nice thing is that, uh, you know, with uh, education and, uh, you know, people getting smarter through education, uh, you know, people are realizing that it's it's not good to continue to smoke. But I want to jump on something uh, yeah. you said, Dr. Jane. Uh, because nicotine is addictive. All the research shows it's addictive. So I don't want folks to think that it's not. It is tough to quit smoking for a lot of reasons, all of which you listed. Plus, it's addictive. Yeah, if I could if I could just interject, there was actually an article. It's interesting that we're having this topic today, but there was an article that I read not too long ago, uh, last week actually, and it talked about the uh, top five or ten most addictive substances that exist right now. And I think uh, nicotine fell either on uh, number two or number three. At number one was cocaine. And then I think it was either alcohol before nicotine or nicotine before alcohol. And nicotine is more addictive than heroin. Yeah. So uh, very, very, at least at least it's in the top five. And so, you're right. You know, in fact, uh, cigarette smoking is the leading, you know, preventable cause of death is, uh, wow. is, is nicotine. Uh, well, they so have I, all those warnings on uh, cigarette packs, but people probably don't read them. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think I think the uh, addiction is 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 so far beyond that. You know, I don't know how it is in the Philippines, but in Mexico, you know, you'll buy a packet of cigarettes now, and you'll have a picture of somebody with emphysema or an infant that was bo- born with low birth weight or some other kind of uh, you know uh, problem. Smoking somebody with related. a trach, smoking related, you know, and people still smoke. You know, yeah, the and, same thing in the Philippines. We yeah. have those pictures of COPD, gangrene, Ooh, uh, the boxes, yeah, and in. In the city where I grew up, in Davao City, Philippines, it's a smoke-free city. Yeah. So the only way that it was implemented was the mayor, who is now the president, yeah. uh, gave a 
you know, order to nobody should smoke in public. So the whole city is smoke-free. You can smoke in private, but not public. And that has reduced a lot of the smoking-related illnesses. Yeah, but your president would shoot him dead if he catches him smoking. <laughs> as long as you don't identify them as addicts, you'll be okay. Yeah. yeah, you know, it's really interesting. They'll have smoke, smoke-free smoke or designated smoke rooms in certain establishments. And I remember— Airports ne- have them or yeah. used to. And I remember a number of years back, you know, I went to a place here in San Antonio, and I don't remember the name of the location, but— uh, you know they have a, a smoke-free room, and it was ju- it just so happened that that room had a glass that would separate the smoke room from the other, and it literally looked like a sauna or like a steam room, rather like a steam room because of all the smoke. Right, everybody's smoking. Could you ima- could you imagine being in there? I mean, you don't even have to pick up a cigarette; you can just inhale, and you know you get the nicotine that you want. <laughs> so, Doctor Jane, so. here is the sixty-four million dollar question: How do you get people? to quit and to stay off cigarettes. I know in my case, uh, if I had one cigarette, I'd be right back to three packs a day. I don't miss it. I don't crave it. But I know if I had one, it's all over. That's true. I think majority of my patients, uh, the reason why they could not stop is because of the addiction that you have mentioned. And secondly, is that they really don't know why they should quit. They're being told it causes heart attack and COPD, cancer, but they really don't have any practical knowledge of why that happens. So I try to educate them uh, as to what it actually does uh, in their body. Like when you exhale, not all the air comes out of your lungs. Your lung is not like a a bag that it will collapse completely. So I tell them when you smoke, it stays there for at least even six to eight weeks. And the effect of that uh, stays in your air sac which is very important for exchange of uh, oxygen uh, in your lungs. And I tell them, if you smoke and blow smoke at your nail bed, it will form a suit. And if you get that suit and rub it, it smokes. And if you put it in the dark, it lights up. And I tell them that's actually what's happening in your lungs. So I think we have to educate them at that level where they can really uh, see and practicality about what it does rather than just telling them, about the bad things that it does. So what do you tell the patient who says, you know, doctor, my uncle Leo smoked for 60 years and he didn't get sick. Well, you tell him that that doesn't mean that he won't, you know, just because his uncle didn't. And then also, you know, and you can y'all can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the cigarettes now are a little bit more potent than they were back then. And there's more nicotine in them. And, uh, you know, just the amount of chemicals, you know, uh, you know, especially when they add flavoring to the cigarettes, you don't know what you're inhaling. And there was a report that uh, for a while they were soaking tobacco in sugar, which is incredibly addictive to begin with. Yeah, Yeah, that's true, because there's a brand in the Philippines that you can chew and smoke at the same time. Wow. Half of the time you smoke and then the rest you chew. Do you blow bubbles as well? In the same stick. Oh. Yeah. So, you know, wow. I, I think the, you know, and, and the reality here is that you can counsel the patients all you want, but the patient has to ha- has to want to quit. They have to have a desire, you know, counseling or therapy or hypnosis or, you know, medication, whatever it is that you decide, you know, the, you know, you and the patient agree on. They really have to want to quit. And the other thing is, and Dr. Jane, I know you've seen this in your patients is have you, Dr. Beck. Smokers mm-hmm. lie. Uh, so, Ronnie, how, how many cigarettes do you smoke a day? Uh, you know, maybe a couple. 
And I'm smoking three packs. <laughs> a couple this hour. No, I have patients who tell yeah. me they quit 10 times today. They stop and pick up another cigarette. Yeah, that's funny. Those are the ones that are probably harder to make them quit. But I think realization is the first thing. You know, obviously interventions from loved ones will help. And then I think, uh, you know, you're making them understand what it's already done. If they have COPD or coronary artery disease, you know, which is a precursor to, you know, possibly getting a heart attack, uh, you know, they can, uh, you need to make them understand what's already happened, the damage that's already been done, and to try to prevent it from progressing. We're going to come right back to this, and I want to ask Dr. Jane, when he talks with patients who, who say they really want to quit, how do you get them over that hurdle? I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Dr. Joshua Beck. You're listening to WellMed Radio, and we're delighted to have you with us. Caregiving is incredibly difficult and challenging for thousands of people caring for someone they love. It's a job that is demanding and often feels as if it's never-ending. Caregivers feel alone and lonely. That's where Caregiver SOS On Air comes to the rescue. This half-hour weekly program features nationally known gerontologist Carol Zerniel and attorney and veteran broadcaster Ron Aaron. Ooh, that's me. And remember... Caregiver SOS On Air, Saturdays at 7.30 a.m. on 9.30 a.m. The Answer, and Sundays at 12.30 p.m. on Freedom, 1160 KRDY. Well, thank you so much for listening to Caregiver to WellMed Radio. I was just thinking because that promo was for Caregiver SOS on air, and we have changed the time that it is indeed on air. Uh, You can hear it at 7.30 Saturday mornings, and you can hear it again at 12.30 on Sunday afternoons on KRDY 1160 Freedom. I'm Ron Aaron. Thank you for joining us on WellMed Radio. Our co-host, Dr. Joshua Beck, is here, and we're talking with Dr. Manuel Jane, WellMed at Haines City, He's with us on our Wellman Radio Hotline. So, Dr. Jane, for the patient who really wants to quit, who's having a terrible time, uh, what about something like Chantex, the medication? Uh, yes. Uh, recent studies have shown that uh, it's a complex problem that requires a complex type of therapy, and they have found out that behavioral counseling plus pharmacological therapy or medications can really help over that withdrawal that majority of patients will encounter even up to three weeks after they have quit. And some of my patients even develop withdrawal as soon as I admit them in the hospital. And uh, when they say they don't want to be in the hospital, one thing I have in mind is that they are withdrawing from something, and majority of them is uh, smoking. And so there are several ways of medication that we can use. Um, nicotine replacement therapy, you have heard of the patches, the lozenges, and the gums and all that, which are short-acting. We also have Chantex that you have mentioned. What that does is it blocks the pressure center in the brain, and it competes with the nicotine uh, in the brain. So when they do that, they would not have as much craving from it, except their behavioral. See, you're talking about if you use Chantex, you're only blocking the chemical effect of uh, nicotine, but they still need help in their psychological need uh, for something to help them feel good. And so the other medication we use is the uh, 
bupropion, which is uh, like an antidepressant, anti-anxiety medication that would help them um, chemically. But, but what is really more important to me is the behavioral counseling uh, therapy, because that's a long-term therapy. And there is, in fact, a uh, government-free uh, counseling. And if they can uh, look, I mean, call for this, it says quit lines. It says 800 quit now uh, is the government uh, huh. help. Or smokefree.government. And there will be counselors there that would help them and giving them some resources as to how they can uh, help. As Dr. Jane, Dr. Jane, you know, I just wanted to interject real quick. Um, you know, uh, I actually wanted to say on a personal note that I actually quit with Chantix or the um, uh, Mexican version of it when I was when I was in med school in Mexico, Vereniclin. Um, but uh, I actually thought it was it was very effective, actually, and that was actually the only thing I needed. And I agree with Dr. Jane in the sense that you know therapy plus medication is better than medication alone. But I just wanted to say that I think that is a uh, uh, effective medication, and I think that's probably the best medication that we have now. Uh, unless, uh, Dr. Jane, you know of a, a newer medicine, but I think that's the, that's probably the best medication now that has the the highest percentage of people that will quit uh, if taken, and, you know, obviously the patient has the desire to want to quit. Now, when I quit, they hadn't invented any of this. 1977, uh, I was about to have a son born, Mitch, and I decided it, it, you can tell kids not to smoke, but if you smoke, you're the example. And so I said to myself, I need a way to quit. And I read a little paperback book that was out at that time, The Easy Way to Quit Smoking. And it turns out uh, it, it taught a little mental game that I played successfully, which was every time I wanted a cigarette, I said to myself, I choose not to smoke this one. So I wasn't saying I choose not to smoke ever. I'm just going to stop this one and not have it. Uh, and within, as you mentioned, Dr. Jane, within three or four weeks, I was unhooked and off of cigarettes. Uh, I was such a heavy smoker that uh, back then it was called a typewriter, not a computer. But the typewriter wouldn't work without a cigarette. The phone couldn't be answered without a cigarette. A cup of coffee you couldn't have without a cigarette. And, and I broke that habit. Yes. You know, the, these are uh, motivational uh, processes that you go through. And, and you are making, you know, the patient should be accountable for their own behavior. And in fact, I just tell them that you're really responsible for also influencing our uh, young people. Uh, my example is that you'll be smoking outside, and then there'll be a car where there's a five-year-old in the car and see you smoking. Right. And he was told that if you're good, you're, you, you, you go to heaven, and if you're bad, you go to jail or hell. And then he looks at this man who is... Uh, outside of jail and hell and smoking. And so the child says, I'll be good. I'll smoke when I go older. So I, I tell my patient that you're not uh, in an island when you say I can do what I want, but it influences. And I'm really worried about the young people, you know, especially in the car or they're smoking uh, close to a kid. And that child will have a lot of influence from that person. And, and that's what we should all be aware of also. Over the weekend, we visited... Uh friend who was at a local hospital, uh, Mission Baptist, uh, on the south side. And 
there's a sign when you pull onto the campus that says, this is a smoke-free campus. We parked the car, and what do you think we saw littered all over the ground? Cigarette butts. Um, They're just there for decoration, I think. Oh, thank you, Doctor. (laughs) (laughs) And and in your case, you said you used Chantix. How early on did you start smoking? How old were you? Uh, I was in college. I was so when until you got to med school in Mexico. Well, and that was when I started smoking regularly. It started like it does for most people where it's more of a social gathering kind of, right. you know, smoke a cigarette here and there. And then, you know, in school, you know, to help stay focused or so I thought, you know, I would use cigarettes for that reason. Could you smoke in class? No, no. So it was uh, smoke free in class, thankfully. Uh, but, oh. but you know, in, in the uh, library and... Not indoors, but, you know, in the outside of the library and, you know, obviously, you know, what you do in your house, you know, is, is your right. own business. But, right. uh, but it would help, you know, to study and, you know, to get through the exams and stuff like that. But thankfully, I was smart enough to quit. <laughs> when did you quit? Uh, when I graduated. When I graduated before I came back because obviously, you know, the uh, – you know. So, you know, I don't know how it is in the Philippines, but in Mexico, it's 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 more open and, you know, it's more normal to see people smoke. You know, the uh, the educated aspect of not smoking and the dangers that it causes probably is lagging so many years behind the U.S. Um, and other industri- industrialized nations. And so, you know, in Mexico, if you don't smoke, you're, you know, at one time, you know, you were kind of odd if you didn't smoke. Uh, whereas in the U.S., you know, people kind of frown if you do, especially if you're in residency. And, and so I just said to myself that I was going to quit cool. when I graduated. And so that's what I did. And so, you know, the nice thing about the medications that, that, that exist now is that, uh, you know, that they're, uh, you know, just other, you know, tools to use at your disposal to help you quit and get through that process with therapy, of course, you know, if you choose to do that, um, as opposed to just, you know, quitting cold turkey, which, you know, the success rate is not very high. So, Dr. Jane, it wasn't too long ago when a lot of healthcare providers smoked. Is that decreasing in your view? Has it come close to an end? Yes, that's true. In fact, you seldom see young doctors smoking. You might see some older doctors, the ancient ones, that they might be retired, but they still smoke. And during the time that I was in, in school, especially in med school, everybody smokes. Uh, the surgeon, the, everybody uh, smokes. And the first time I have an insight about how bad smoking is when we had the uh, uh, pathology class, and you're supposed to uh, uh, do an autopsy on a fresh cadaver, and that was assigned to me was a lung cancer. And when I opened that specimen, and it was a necrotic smell, and it was a uh, lung cancer from smoking. And, and that deterred me from uh, from even touching a cigarette because I saw what it does. And, of course, not all patients see that. And if they see something like that, I mean, we should show it to them what it does rather than just tell them. And and that's how I, you know, stay away from, from that because of what I saw. And yet uh, our patients do not really see yeah. But it takes, uh, uh, you mentioned about that individual that has been smoking all his life and is 90 years old and he doesn't have any cancer. Because a cancer has to be at least, what, six or seven millimeters size before any test can show. So I tell my patients, you know, you have cancer. 
there are 120 substances in that smoke, and 80 of them produces cancer of the skin, of the brain, of the bone, of the pancreas, and everywhere else. And we cannot see it until it shows on the uh, on the on the test. And for those, and when I tell them that, they seem to you know open their eyes and say, "What am I doing?" You know? Dr. Jane, and for those that don't develop cancer and you know don't have any signs of damage like COPD. Uh, you know, and they do quit. You know, the studies do show that, you know, after 10 years, they will, you know, lung function will improve almost to that of somebody that has never smoked. Never completely to normal, but almost to that level of somebody that has not smoked. The food tastes better. You know, you're able to exercise without, without you know, as much difficulty. Uh, and so really those people that haven't developed COPD, you know, you want to get everybody to quit, but the people that don't have signs, that, that should be more motivation to get them to quit because once they develop, you know, emphysema and COPD, you know, a lot of that can't be reversed. All you can do is halt progression by getting them to quit. Dr. Jane, we are flat out of time. I, I really appreciate you joining us, and uh, you've been a great guest. We'll do it again. If that's okay, we'd like to get you back on to talk about another topic. Yes, thank you for having me in. You have a great day, and the patients down there in Haines City are lucky to have you there. Nice talking thank to you. you. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Dr. Manuel Jane, WellMed at Haines City. That was interesting. No, I just wanted to make that point that, uh, you know, people that quit, you know, can really become, can really get back to, uh, you know, as if they were had never smoked. Perfect. Really. Thank you. I'm Ron Aaron. He's Dr. Joshua Beck, and this is WellMed Radio. Thank you for listening to WellMed Radio, a service of WellMed Medical Management. We welcome your emails with suggestions and comments on this program at radio at wellmed.net. And please be sure to tune in next week for another edition of WellMed Radio.